while I was singing. Somebody touched me while I was singing. Somebody touched me while I was singing. Somebody touched me. Must have been the hand of the Lord. While I was kneeling, somebody touched me while I was kneeling. Somebody touched me while I was kneeling. Somebody touched me. Must have been the hand of the Lord. Somebody touched me while I was praying. Somebody touched me. It must have been the hand of the Lord. It must have been the hand of the Lord. Amen. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16? I want to speak to you this morning on the battleground of the mind. How's your thought life? How's your thought life this past week? What do you dwell on? What do you think about? Every thought that we have has the potential of driving us into an action. Sometimes, and I, and I can tell you why, is, Pat, 1 Corinthians, did you get that? 2.16. I gave them all my verses, so guess what? We have to use our Bibles this morning. All right, let me go to mine. It's the very last word in... 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it's this. But we have the mind of Christ. What do we have? When you were born again, you went through that great transforming of your heart, your mind, your life. You went through a transformation because you've been born again. John 3, 3, you've been born again. You can have encounters with God and not be saved. Did you hear me? Okay. So not everyone who says they have an encounter knows that they are saved. They think they are because they've, they've seen something or heard something or have done something with the Lord. But we have to come to that point of saying, Lord, I repent of my old life. I repent of my sin. And Lord, I want to follow you. So I want to speak to you this morning about thought discipline. Because this is where the battle takes place, is in our minds. Now, can everybody hear me? We get, get it all adjusted. I'll tell you why I ask this, because it's, it's a funny story. But some years ago when I was preaching here, I was preaching on this question, are you a horn honker? And so I used that phrase to bring out why people honk their horns in traffic is because they some people seem like they drive around with their horn on all the time. It's just the way they live their life, you know. And 
And, I, and so I kept asking, are you a horn honker? And apparently someone with, and I know that, that she didn't have hearing that was all that great and being up in the years. And she came up to me sometime later, my goodness, a month later, and she said, that one Sunday, were you talking about whoremongers? You were asking people in the congregation if they were whoremongers? So can you hear me this morning? I'm going to relay, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you an, an illustration of a dream that I had a couple weeks back, and it's very important that you hear me, and I'll let you know when we get to that, because it's really important, because you might get the wrong message. Anyways, it's really good to be able to speak with you again this morning, and I want, I want to just thank Pastor Mike for an opportunity to bring to you a word of the Lord that might encourage you to help you fight the fight of faith. <laughs> Thank you. It's nice to nice to be seen. <laughs> think of you. Think of the alternative. I could be with the Lord. Never mind. I work in a very public place, and it was just about a month and a half ago. The Lord urged me to go in and tell my boss. Next Friday will be my last day. That's all I knew to do. And my wife and I had talked about it. We talked about, you know, other endeavors um, for me, and, and I am involved in one of them right now. But, uh, it, you know, I went and shared with my boss, uh, 55 hours a week on your feet with no lunch break, nine and a half hours every day, six days a week is a long week. And the Lord had given me a mission and the mission was this, to take a business that was in the dumps and give it a good reputation and to bless the owner in doing so. And I told him, and I said, Doug, I said, my mission here is done. And I gave him a good witness in doing so. But I have the opportunity now, I'm still working there only two days a week, but I have an opportunity now to do things like carnival, uh, to, to have time to pray and to seek God for what I want to share with you. And I want to just tell you that each one of us has a walk of life that the Lord guides our footsteps. And you know, when you get to a certain age, and I can look around and see that we have a few 50-plusers here. I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling like a, a, a little kid, you know. I love being this age. Can we stop? You know, I don't want to get any older, but I love this age because Jesus is so rich. His living in this life is so, so wonderful. And I had a pretty good week. I was able to share Christ with people. I was able to just smile. It's so good to see people come in for an oil change. We give full service. This is not an ad for where I work. I won't even say where I work. But that's the, I love servicing cars because it blesses people. And I see it that way. Whatsoever you, you do, do, do with all your might. At Colossians 3.23 has been my verse. And I want to just give that to you as an encouragement that you may be in a place that's humbling from time to time. Walk it and do it. Work with all your might. Have a good attitude. Smile. Be positive. Be positive. We've got every reason to be filled with joy 
and to share peace with people because we share power. Your very presence when you walk into a room brings power to a situation. You may not know it, but you can change the atmosphere of that conversation just by being there. Do you have the faith to believe that? If not, you need to see it. And it gives pleasure to the Lord. First thing I want to talk to you about is thought discipline. Thought discipline. We, we have this thing that, that, we are, that we are up against, and we have an enemy that wants to sow seeds into our mind. You know the, the parable of the tares and the wheat. And Jesus was reaped. He's talking about wheat farmers that at nighttime, an enemy, somebody had a snit against them, you know? Never got over it. Enemies would bring a bucket of seed of tares. Those are weeds, but they're a noxious weed. They're a poisonous weed. That when they're growing up, you can't tell the difference between that tear and the wheat. The good and the bad. You can't until you let them grow all the way up. And after a while of letting them grow up, then you can see which ones to pluck out. We have an enemy that in our thought life now plants seeds in our minds and we have to be able to recognize it because when it comes of age in our minds, if we let that thing grow there's going to be trouble. We are to take every thought captive. We are to bring it into subjection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is not... that, that do, you, do you see force in that? Do you understand that the, that what the implication of this is that, that discipline and force need to be applied? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. I think we're going to have to go there ourselves. We'll get there. 2 Corinthians 10. I didn't have it bookmarked. This is what I want us to see this morning. You know, in 2 Corinthians 10, we have a, we have a little glimpse of warfare. We, we do not war like the world wars. The way we fight, we fight in a different manner. And Paul says this, he says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Did you get that? Oh, underline that. Underline that if it hasn't been. If it has, use a different color marker. Underline that. That's for today. And he says, we... In verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension, every, excuse me, I need to see that, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now Paul here was talking about a couple different things. This is very wide in use and application. Paul was speaking of, like when he went, he went amongst the pagans and they worshipped every god that, that they could think of. And Paul had to demolish those gods with arguments. 
and taking thoughts and strongholds and, and rip them out, demolish them, tear them down. We sung about that this morning. This is the purpose of our thought life, is that when thoughts come in that are not Christ-like, because we have the mind of Christ, right? Then we ought to know by now what it's like to have an impure thought in our minds, right? Stands to reason, doesn't it? And so what we need to do is to take those thoughts, take them captive, grab a hold of them. Don't let those things, don't let them survive. I don't know how long you have to fight. I don't know how long it takes. I don't know you're struggling in different thoughts. But I know this, that if you've been, how many of you here, and this is all of them, all of you, how many of you here have been dealt an injustice? Yeah. If you haven't, you haven't lived long enough yet. I can say we have several injustices that have occurred in our lives, and we could just say that wasn't fair. We could have people that have offended us. And by that offense, we, we keep thinking these woulda, coulda, shoulda thoughts. And that's a wrong thing to do. You know, kicking yourself because you didn't do this or do that and maybe win the fight. Maybe the Lord was keeping you from that. Don't think those thoughts. Take them captive. Put them in a grave. Forgive. Forgive lest bitterness spring up. And when bitterness springs up, you already know you have a problem. You know what bitterness is? In practical terms, it is this. Bitterness is unfulfilled revenge. When you see bitter people, it's because they've had so many wrongs done to them that they could never get over it. I spoke to you a couple sermons back about about a, a, a person I know that couldn't forgive everybody. Bitterness affects your body and your health. And when you ask, you know, there, and I have seen this, okay, so I'm, I'm not one, I'm not one to, to bring out these things other than to have you learn that if you hang on to unforgiveness long enough, it becomes a bitterness and you will have a sickness attached to it. And what do you do? You ask for the elders to heal you when that thing was sent there and it shouldn't have been sent there. Does God send it? No. That's why He warns us to walk with the mind of Christ and to sweep it clean and keep bad thoughts out of it. This is a disciplined thought life. Have you ever you know, seen somebody doing something really stupid and you... If you're like me, you probably said it, but you, you don't have a personality like you do, I do, so you would never say a thing like this, but you'd look at him and say, what were you thinking? <laughs> on the serious side, I see Christians doing things that later on, you know the verse, beware, your sin will find you out? And you look at him and say, what were you thinking? The problem is, they shouldn't have been thinking that because it wasn't taken captive. As a believer, you have to spot them quickly. Just like a farmer can spot wheat and tares. They know an enemy's been there. They can't quite identify the two of them in a manner 
to sprout them up all together, but what we need to do as a Christian is to be guided by the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, if there are any unclean thoughts on the inside, you know, you're down inside me, and Lord, you, you know every thought I have. Lord, help me with this. Well, chances are, and I rely upon this, I know you know, because you have the Holy Spirit in you, when an impure thought comes through your mind, you know that it doesn't belong there. Don't entertain it. Don't ask it to come into the house. Don't have it sit down in the comfy seat and don't wait upon it and give it something to eat. Kick it out. Kick that thought right out of your head. Amen? Thought discipline. We have a thought discipline need Because it's ongoing. We have the mind of Christ. I like that. The battleground of the mind. Another point is this. And we need to do this. Would you turn with me to Romans 8 and verse 1? I like this. This is a verse that I know you do too, but this is a verse I live by. Romans 8 and 1. As soon as I get there. Romans 8 1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of the major tactics of the Lord, or of the, of the devil, when he said that he, Jesus said this, he identified the devil for us merely by saying this, and we can go with this. This takes no special discernment. This takes a believer's discernment that every believer has. It said, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. He is the father of lies. He is also the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. Have you ever had false accusations brought against you? Nasty. Somebody has gotten into alignment with the devil when they did so. Father of lies. That's, you know what his native tongue is? The devil's native tongue is lies. Lies and more lies. When we speak a false witness, the reason why that that is one of the Ten Commandments, it's one of the things that the Lord hates, is when we give, when we give a, a false witness, it's because we didn't have the truth on it, and we're walking in alignment with hell. Read James on that one. It's the tongue that sets on fire hell. The hellfire is lit with our tongue. And our tongue gets a rattling by what we're thinking. That's how important it is. But when someone brings a false accusation to us, if, it, if that is, is done in such a way that it hits a previous failure, you begin to feel the shame. Now, there is therefore now no condemnation. If you and I are in Christ... 
people, there's no such thing as shame, and neither should we shame others. Get that? I'll say that again. If you are a believer, if you are a believer, there's no such thing as shame because there is now no condemnation. Now, I'm not talking about conviction and knowing when you've done something wrong, you need to repent of it. That's God. But in our failures, if we feel shame, that's not God. There is therefore now no condemnation. If you have been forgiven, it's no longer held against you. Jesus didn't halfway die so he could halfway forgive and that we would halfway live a pure and holy life. Do not let anyone bring up to you something that God has already forgotten. False accusation. So what we need to do in our thought life, now this is dealing with us personally. I've had to go through this. I was brought up in a family, in a family unit where it wasn't bad all the time. I don't want anyone to think it was bad all the time, but... but I, you know, and I think this is a generational thing, too. It's just the time of the day of that era where there was, you know, the way to get your kids to behave is to shame them. Wrong. <laughs> I, I, only, I only behaved when mom and dad were around. <laughs> but see, it was doing something to me. I was beginning to believe what they were saying about me. And if you begin to believe what you think other people are saying about you, you begin to build a wrong self-image of yourself. And I want to share this with you. This is what I heard Bill Johnson say. And he said this, I, do not, I can't afford to think any thought about me that God does not. I can't afford to think that I'm a failure. I can't afford to think that I... Oh... Woe is me, I made a mistake, and oh, oh. No, you pick yourself up, and you hold your head high, and you walk upright before the Lord, because you are a child of God, and there is no shame. You can boldly stand and say, that's wrong, and let alone have someone look at you and say, oh yeah, but you've done that, haven't you? Shame. You might think you are not qualified to speak on something because speak out and point it, point it out that the Bible says it's wrong because you've done it. Nonsense. You speak it out because the Word says it. Not because you were ever, ever clean, spick, and span. The things that we have been forgiven are... are they're, they're, it's, a, it's not a wide paintbrush... It's a tide of the ocean that has washed it away. We have been washed clean. We are without that sin, but people want to remind us. I'm talking about believing lies now. People will tell you things about you that your enemies will tell you or those that have, have falsely accused you. I want you to, to not just memorize this word, but live by it. There is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. And that truth will set you free. Be free with that. 
and say, I'm not going to do that again because I messed up the first time. Listen, the Lord is giving you a second chance. Go for it. I had a, so I I had kind of a, I, I didn't have the image of myself that God did. And I still battle with that. I don't know if any of us can ever have the complete image of ourselves that God has. I don't know if that's possible. I know with me it's not very easy. Ever struggle with that? Am I alone here? Okay. I want to share with you my dream. Okay, can you hear everything? (laughs) Okay. I had a dream that kind of disturbed me but kind of lit me up at the same time. And it was a very real dream. And I was telling Pastor Mike this dream. I have dreams that I don't know if they're visions or if they're dreams. Can't tell the difference between the two. And I had a dream that was so real that it, that it lit me up and still disturbed me for the rest of the day. It went like this. I found myself, hear me correctly, this is a dream. This is a dream. It didn't really happen. I was in a conference for, and a medium was speaking. Everybody wanted to go to listen to this, this witch, this medium, speak lies about people. And they were all loving it, and they were just all enjoying it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, you know, in a dream, all, that's why I think it was a vision, all of a sudden it's like, what am I doing here? So I sat there for a minute. And when she opened her mouth, she, she was up on a platform, and it was a huge auditorium. She stared at me. I mean, her eyes just went, whoop, and she stared at me, and I'm staring at her. She knew I was a child of God, and I knew that she was of the devil. She came off without saying a word. She came off, and she sat right behind me, and she began to speak lies, and I turned around and looked at her, and I said, I'm a child of God, and you know I have victory over you, and I'm not going to believe a single word, so don't even start prophesying your lies. I got up, started speaking in tongues, and walked out of that place and spoke in tongues until I got outside, and then the dream was over. And so it was a couple weeks later. I'm saying, Lord, I still can't figure this out. Would you please help me with this? And he says, he says I want to show you, you. I want to show you, you. I put you in a place amongst evil and darkness, and you are a bright light. I want to show you, you. I want to show you what I see you doing every day. Kind of put a smile on my face. I said, Lord, thank you. It was that vivid. His speaking to me was every bit as vivid. I, I was like, Lord, thank you. I figured it out. Thank you. If we could get an idea of the joy we bring to the Lord by just our dailiness. And you know what's wrong sometimes, what, what I can't bear about daily living, is that it's so daily. <laughs> You'll get it in a minute. It's not boring, it's just, I need more feature sometimes. I need more heaven sometimes. I love signs and wonders and dreams and visions. I want the whole truckload. But in carrying that truckload, you better know you're going to be put in some dark places. 
So when you find yourself in a dark place, don't cower. Shine. Stand up tall and say, there is therefore now no condemnation. The father of lies is under my feet. He is destroyed. I have overcome by the word of my testimony. The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony in Revelation, that those who had the white clothing on were those who overcame. And they did it by what He did and by what we did. Did you notice that there are two elements there? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And then the word of our testimony. That requires us. And we have to have a a pure and straight thought line going. Have the word flowing in us. And you know you're going to be put in places where you need to feel that pleasure of the Lord. And it might not be a place that you expected. <laughs> Had a lady come into the shop one day. I'm, I'm guiding, guiding her in, you know, in our, in our shop. We've got a big hole in the floor. That's where the guys work down there. And, and I, I manage the place, so I'm upstairs, and I'm greeting people coming into their cars. This lady came in, and she was crying. And it's what I call the school mom hour, where somewhere between 8 and 9 o'clock come all the school moms. They go, to the, they go to the school, drop their kids off, and then they come in, and they get an oil change, and then they're on their way to whatever for the day. And that, we, I, call them, that, I call that our school mom hour, and, our, and, and my guys, they laugh, and they say, yeah, you know, you're right. I said, yeah, we get a lot of school moms through here. Well, here comes this, this lady coming in, and she, had, she, she, was, she just had this, this countenance of, of hurt. She just was covered with hurt. And I looked at her and I said, how are you today? She says, I'm okay. And I said, well, I hope you're doing a lot better when you leave here. And I asked her what she needed, what she would like, and, and I helped her understand some things about her car. And, and part of what we do is make people feel good about their cars, and that's when our job is done, not just because we do a job and get a paycheck, but I, I teach our guys customer, customer service. And I was sharing some things of the Lord with her. I said, I said, you're struggling with something. I said, can I help you with that? She says, oh, I just had a fight with my daughter and and dropped her off at school and now I wish that just hadn't happened and I said I said that's the first step right there go and make it right she was smiling when she left we are going to meet people in very dark places we need the mind of Christ to see it not be blind and not neglect it this is our mission people This is our mission. Do you know how much the Lord loves you and loves to watch you? Think about when you were a parent. Didn't you love to watch your little kids? Maybe you have a teenager that's involved in sports. Didn't you love to watch them? (laughs) Zach and Dawn just went through this. Don't you love to watch them? Doesn't that bring you joy? Our son was a wrestler. Love to watch him wrestle. Oh man, I love to watch him wrestle so much that when he was out of school and, and past that point, that that I became a wrestling coach because I, I wanted to keep that going. I loved it. 
love to have input in young lives. To take boys and turn them into men out on the mats. The Lord takes joy in you. Feel his joy in doing the things that you do. You do things that you think is just a hobby. You, you think that it's just recreation. There's a word for that recreation. is to recreate. To recreate. To put your life back into, back into proper perspective. That's recreation. We have recreation in God. And it's wonderful. How many of you have seen the movie... Chariots of Fire, like 30-some years ago. Chariots of Fire was a, was a story about Eric Lydell, and he was, he was a 100-meter runner. I ran 100-yard dash. And if any of you were ever in track, you know what that's like, and you had an event that you ran. Well, Eric Lydell was, was one of those, he was very strict in his Christian upbringing, just very, very strict. And he comes out of his church in, was it Scotland or Wales? He came... UK, there. When he comes out of the church, 1924, this is the 1920s, he comes out of the church, out of, a, out of a good church service. He knows what to do and what not to do, and he sees boys playing football with great joy out on the church lawn, out by the parking lot. They're playing football, and, and, he, says, and he says to them, he says, you ought not to do that on Sunday. It's the Sabbath. And he shut them down for it. That set the story right there. If you haven't seen Chariots of Fire, watch it. He ended up dying as a missionary in 1945, but before he did, he became a champion of the 400 meters in 1924 Olympics. And in running, he was going to, he said he wouldn't run because it was a Sunday, and he put, up, he put away his 100-meter event, his chosen event, and he was, he was, he was racked with conviction and having to make a choice. Do I run in the Olympics? The event I have been trained to run. Do I run or not? And he goes, no. I have had this conviction that I do not do this on a Sunday. He said, I won't do it. Imagine that taking place these days. And something happened and, and the 400 meter slot opened up. After much prayer of turning down that 100-meter. He had time to think about that 400-meter event, and it was, another, it was another occasion for him to run on a Sunday. You know what he did? He took it and got the gold medal. It was said this, false accusation and everything else going around there, that was said this about Eric Lydell in the midst of that week of deciding, do I run the 400 or not? Their greatest rival over there was us, the United States. And the U.S. Olympic team, the coach was telling his 400 meter, don't worry, Eric Lydell does not run the 400. And if any of you have ever run track, that 100-yard dash, is, it's, it's, very, it's a burst of energy that you've got to just, boom, explode in one moment. But a, but a 440 is gut-wrenching. It's one whole lap as fast as you can. And so in this situation, Eric Lydell ran and he won it. And someone came up to him and said, I thought you didn't run on Basically, I might be misquoting this. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. But I remember the gist of the story. And he said this. This is what struck me. Because I was very legalistic in those days. There's a lot of things that I was very bossy about and about my life. And this is back in 1982. My wife and I got saved in 81. And we saw the movie in Florida with, with Campus Life. And, 
and I was watching it, and he, someone asked Eric Lydell, what changed your mind? Why, why did you run on a Sunday? And he said this, I feel his pleasure when I run. I feel his pleasure when I run. I got the message. And so I've spent the last 30 years trying to feel his pleasure in whatever I do. I've done things that that I didn't know what I was doing, but I just wanted to do them. And I called it my folly. But my father says I was pleased. I made you that way, he said. I made you that way. I expected you to do this. I wanted you to do this. And when you did, it gave me pleasure. Hallelujah. The Lord enjoys watching you. Have that shape your thought process. It will help you destroy the lives of the lies of the enemy. The devil wants you to think the complete opposite. He wants to drag you down with negative thoughts about yourself. So what you will do is you'll give up hope. And once hope is gone, you'll stop serving the Lord. You'll burn out. You'll give up. You'll stop the fight. And it's not a pretty scene. There are people that are watching you They know we're not perfect. Don't stress yourself out over that. There is no condemnation from heaven. You know what's right and wrong. There's no condemnation. Have you been forgiven? It's been forgotten. He casts it into the sea of forgetfulness. Wow. Is God good? One final word. I say this in closing, and I don't drag on when I close. Perfect love casts out fear. That's part of your thought life, too. Discipline your thought life. Do you at times think about things that you think are going to go wrong, and they never do? Do you think about what people think about you when they seldom do? Fear and anxiety are the complete opposite of what God has for you in the mind of Christ. Jesus didn't worry, did he? In fact, he gave us a whole chapter, well, half a chapter, last half of chapter 6 in Matthew, Matthew 6. Out of that comes Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God. And it's righteousness. You know what I like about righteousness? It's that right part. Has there been an injustice? Righteousness makes everything that's wrong right. That's the kingdom in which we serve. And all of these things shall be added. All these things. And we get so worried that, you know, and the worst part about worry is that it's unbelief. Okay, flat out, worry and anxiety over something that could go wrong when it hasn't gone wrong 
is unbelief. Because what you're doing is you're assigning God unable or else unwilling. You want to take a guess as to which that is? When he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, if we are not to worry or care reading the, the previous passages in Matthew 6, you'll know that we're not supposed to worry. And out of that flowing, we have fear and anxiety today that is rampant in the world, believers and unbelievers. And I just want to share with you that first of all, when you worry about something going wrong, what you've done is you've just put yourself into unbelief concerning the situation. Can I give you, can I give you the solution to that? The cure to that is this. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Your image of God comes from the Word of God. Read the red letters. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Book of Acts. Don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. Jesus said the pagans run after all that stuff. They chase all that stuff. Peter says don't chase after the things that the world chases after. Fear and anxiety. Should not be a part of our life. It's like shame ought not to be a part of our life. The Lord doesn't want you to live that way. And if certain things happen like you thought they were going to happen, well, you know what? You should have been praying as if <laughs> on earth as it is in heaven. I say that not to bother anybody, but I want to give you the, the secret to walking in peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. There is peace in the kingdom. Peace is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives in us bears that fruit and you walk it out in your life. Peace. I heard Judson Cornwall say this. It was up in Gaylord a long time ago in the 1980s when he was, 90s when he was there at, at family camp. He said this. He said, he was speaking about the love of God. And he says, perfect love casts out fear. It casts it out because it can't stay there. Fear comes from a lack of love somewhere. Not understanding perfect love will bring fear into us. And, and Judson Cornwall, he said it this way, and I could never say it with the impact that he does. He says, if you won't accept the perfect love, then I guess you'll have to deal with your fears. Think on that. There will be difficulties. There will be trials. Anyone who wants to live a godly life will will go through tribulation, and much tribulation as we enter into the kingdom of heaven. Paul said that. Paul said that. <laughs> you think he was troubled every now and then? How's your thought life? How's your thought life? Rejoice in the Lord, because you belong to him. He is the one that deals with things. He is the one that brings revenge. Oh, don't steal from God. How can we steal from God? Simply this. 
by exacting revenge in our thought, in our hearts, for those that have offended us. You have just stolen revenge. Revenge is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, says that in a couple of occasions in the Word. So I guess it's true, amen? Revenge is His. Why? Because He's the perfect judge. Why? Because that's the righteous part of righteousness. He takes the wrongs in your life and He makes them right. He'll change them around. Maybe not in the way that you think they ought to be changed around, but can you wait until heaven? You've got more in front of you than what you do here ahead of you and behind you. Heaven is a long time. It's forever and it's wonderful. It's perfect. It's full of joy. And there's never a boring moment. Would you stand with me? Thought discipline. Many of you know Pastor Jeff Flavin. He's our district superintendent. The way I turned out, I can blame on him. He's one of my favorite people. I was his youth pastor for five and a half years. And one time I was studying something, and I wanted to look up the word disciple. And, you know, everybody knows what disciple is. Those are the 12 guys that follow Jesus around everywhere, right? I really wanted to know, so I went to the Bible dictionary, went to the concordance, and one day I was looking at it, and I, and I mean, I let, out, I let out a hoop from my office, and Pastor Jeff down around the corner, down the hallway, he goes, what was that about? We would do that now and then. He would, he'd say something, do something, sing something, and I would do that, we'd ask, okay, what are you thinking? I said, I just looked up the word for, for disciple and discipline. I said, disciple's right in the middle of discipline. And he goes, yeah. And I said, look up discipline. This is what you're going to find. The habit of obedience. He goes, whoa, brother, that'll preach. I said, it is right now. The habit of obedience. Having, having the battlefield of the mind, the battleground of the mind in front of you, and you're living in it all the time, except maybe when you're sleeping, know this, that it takes discipline. And you are a disciple. You are a follower, and you are the one who has the habit of obedience. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Lord, I want to just ask a special blessing on your people. Lord, that you go with them. Lord, bring freshness. Lord, you say we, we go through seasons of, of refreshing. And Lord, I pray that right now, a season of refreshing for your people. You know, we came in on a cloudy day. Lord, you're sunshine all the time. Lord, you, you go beyond that, Lord. I pray you touch lives this week. But today, Lord, bring a refreshing of your Holy Spirit. Well, thank you for that. Lord, would you also bless Pastor Mike and Chris while they're away? Lord, may they be relaxed. Lord, you have a work and a purpose and a plan for this. Lord, I pray that every bit of that would be done. All things be done while they're visiting down there. Lord, they're with family. They're in a warm place. They're in a sunny place. <laughs> but Lord, you're beyond that. Lord, you are the one who gives refreshment. Lord, I pray that for them. We pray that, Lord, also their, their travels be safe. And, Lord, keep them in good health and return them to us, Lord, even in better condition than they left. In Jesus' name. And all our people said, 
Amen. God bless you as you go today.